My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they each learn in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. In this episode, I am joined by the legendary Dr. Michael Fabian. Now, Dr. Fabian was my advisor at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Prescott, Arizona, and he has an esteemed career working in every single faculty and facility possible that has been involved with rocket design, maintenance, creation, explosion, testing. And our conversation, albeit short, ranges and talks about everything from stories he's had as a kid to different things that he's experienced in his career. And there will be a second edition of this podcast coming out later on this year that I have been pushing him to help me record and record with me for a long time. But this conversation is one of my favorites of all time. He's one of my favorite individuals of all time. And I hope you all enjoy this very short podcast with myself and Dr. Michael Fabian. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. <laughs> Are you ready for this? I think so. I think I'm ready. Okay. Um, so, do you, do you remember when you met me for the first time? No, not specifically. I don't. I okay. don't remember specifically. I think I was a sophomore here at Ember Riddle, and I already knew I wasn't going to like any of the projects that were going to be given to me in Senior Capstone. So, I came to you, and I was like, hey, I have an idea. And you were like, who, 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 the, who the fuck is this is, guy? <laughs> is this when you came in and you were talking about working with Jenna and, and do some kind of yeah, rocket project? Yeah, okay. two years before I would two have started. Year, two yeah. Year, yes. Yeah. You were one of the ones. There, there's very few that actually do it that far in advance. I get ones that are about a year in advance, but you, yours was early. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it went well, I think. You know, just, just long story short, you know, we designed a rocket engine from scratch. Some parts of it, not all of it. Right. Um, and uh, I still think in terms of senior capstones, it's, it's definitely one that, from what I've heard, is still used as like a good benchmark to use. Yeah. Of, like this Hel- is Helbling, Helbling said it was one of the best ones ever. So he, he was yeah. he was really impressed. And with he it. wasn't even and our he, teacher. Yeah. And he, <laughs> and he taught he taught capstone for like 17 years. So. Yeah. Well, that that means a lot to me. Um, so I'm going to take it back to that. So um, tell me the story. And this and this and this this is going to go off. We're not we don't talk about aerospace. We don't talk about rockets. We don't have to talk yeah. about any of that stuff. A little, maybe a little bit. But I, I just want to go back to, to you, right? And can you tell me the story of your most memorable adventure? Like it could be any about any time in your life, about any genre. The I can I can think of two. Um, when I was a kid and we were living in Bellevue, my family decided to go hiking in, in Mount Rainier National Park, and we took this trail. And my my dad and I, my sister and my mom stayed at camp, and we were hiking up this snowfield. And there were footprints. We didn't have crampons or anything like that. We were hiking the snowfield, and there, it was icy at the bottom of each one because it had, the sun had shined in there and melted it. Yeah. And so my dad would had lead. I was following him, and we're hiking across the snowfield. And I slipped on the ice, and I started sliding down the snowfield. And we didn't have axes or nothing. We just so no self-arrest. Yeah. No self-arrest at yeah. all. So I'm accelerating very nicely. And uh, there's a there's a crevasse at the bottom. And I fall into the crevasse. And the place I landed was the only place with some sand. Everything else was rocks and boulders. Wow. And I probably would have broken my back if I'd landed on that. 
and below the crevasse was a stream that had holes where there were like the ice or the splashing had, yeah. uh, had thawed it. So it's like if you went into one of those, you were going to be gone. <laughs> and so luckily I went into the crevasse, and my dad couldn't see me because I was in the crevasse, but I yelled that I was okay. And then, of course, he had to turn around and work his way back across the snow field and inch his way down. And then I worked my way across the boulder field, and he couldn't see me. And I eventually got to a place where I made sure that I didn't go down into the stream below. Yeah. So that that was one of those adventures where— And how, how deep was the crevasse? Uh, about eight feet deep. Okay, so not, deep, not yeah, deep, to hurt yourself. Deep, deep, deep enough that you could yeah. hurt yourself. And I, I didn't, I didn't get— I just le- happened to land where there was sand, and I don't know why there was sand to this day. I don't know why there was sand. The other one was that uh, we were living in Michigan, and we were flying out to Seattle to see my family, and my dad was military, and so we weren't rich. Um, so we rented a plane at the Aero Club, and uh, we're flying out. And in Montana, we ran into these storms, and the he's flying VFR and uh, visual flight references, yep. and uh, he – the storms start coming around us, and we're trying to get to Missoula, Montana. and Great place. Yeah, and the storm keeps coming, and so we can't, we can't go forward. And so then we turn around to go back, and the storm's wrapped around us. And so he has to descend, and we land on a highway as the, as the storm is creeping in. And in the morning, we saw the power lines that went across the highway. When we landed, we didn't see them. And then uh, so then we stayed the night with these people in their little – cabin in montana and uh, they fed us deer meat and all the usual stuff as a a kid just like never seen that before yeah and in the morning the highway department comes out and they they close the stretch of road with a police car at one end and a and a dump truck at the other end (laughs) and and in order to take off into the wind we have to take off toward the dump truck and which is not (laughs) we would rather take off toward the the, the police car because it's a little lower yeah and uh my dad and i took off in the plane and they drove my sister and my mom and the dog to Missoula and we made it to Missoula. So that, that, those are my two probably biggest adventures, both both times as a kid. And, and what was your dad doing in the military at this point in time? He was a KC-135 pilot. He, he was at uh, Wirt Smith Air Force Base in Michigan. He did refueling for the B-52 Got bo- bomber fleet. So. so the next thing I want to kind of go into is is your father, right? So so your father was an astronaut, right? flew three times. No, two times. Two, two times on the two space time. shuttle. Two times on the space shuttle. And how did he go from being... A KC-135 pilot to astronaut he, selection. He was teaching at the academy, and he applied for the astronaut program. And then uh, you go down for the interviews and, and do all that, and they do the psychological batteries and all that other stuff that's involved. The Vama Comet and all that fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think they did the Vama Comet on the interviews, but he flew the Vama Comet later because it's a 707. So yeah. he, he used to fly it, and they used to do experiments in the back. Yeah. I know they had some kids from Florida from a like a Christian college that they would bring them out. They would try placebos and other things <laughs> on the kids to see if they would get weightlessness sickness while flying on the vomit comet. And they chose the kids from the Christian school because they were less likely to be using drugs and all that. And wow. so they, I think they flew them on three flights or four flights. I think it was three flights. And the first flight, they're all excited. <laughs> and they actually put them in. They have these barber chairs. That can rotate, and they have shower curtains because it's the vomit comet. Yeah, and they rotate and they rotate the chair, and they tell the kid to bend over and put his head between oh his legs, God. and then they spin the chair, and then they make the kid sit up in zero, zero g. And so it, all your all the oh. little fluids in yeah, your ears no. are all messed up. Yeah, and they and so some of them are getting the placebo, and some of them are getting the the quote medicine that's the, the research medicine, and uh, 
the second flight, they don't want even want to get on the plane. The third flight, they'll get on the plane because they know they get to go home after that. Yeah. So, so he used to do that. But uh, anyway, he was, wow. pl- he was applying and went through the battery. He said that while he was down there, one of the other guys had a realtor and was looking at houses. And that guy wasn't even selected because, I mean, he had big ego. and, and Yeah, and <laughs> clearly. And people with big you, ego don't become astronauts. No, you have to live with a crew for seven to ten days in something about the size of this office. I mean, yeah. I mean it's very tiny space. And for reference, <laughs> we're in about an eight-by-ten <laughs> office. Yeah, yeah. when you think about what the square foot, yeah, you get to sit on the ceiling and sit on the floor at the same time because yeah. it's zero G. But, but it's still not a big space, so you have to get along with people. So. So he got selected as a mission specialist. His specialty was the remote manipulator arm. Yep. So he used to go up to Canada Arm uh, up in Montreal all the time yep. to help with that. The, did you fly the T-38 trainer up there? Yeah, then? they flew, yeah. flew the T-38 up there. And you were based on Houston during that? that? Yeah, Houston, not Cocoa Beach. Like yeah. on IDG, it's Houston. <laughs> and how, how old were you at this? Uh, I, I We moved there when I was in... Uh, I finished 10th grade in Colorado, and so 11th, 11th and 12th grade, and then I went off to college, and he stayed there for a number of years. Do so. you? And you went to the launches, right? As oh yeah, I got I got to go, I got to go to both launches, um, for the, for the one with Sally Ride and Rick Houck and and those guys. Um, we got we had our dinner at the beach house. Yeah. Out, out, out on the on the out at the Cape, out on the coast. We had a burger burn out there, and so they do a meal. A family meal right before they yep. launch, and that's that's so you have fond memories in case yeah. they don't come home. And then for the one where, where it was a Saudi prince and a French doctor, we ate kind of in their um, quarantine quarters. Yeah. And the French guy had brought a sword, and he would open the bottles of champagne by sliding, saber it, yeah, yeah, saber yeah. it with <laughs> sliding the sword down the side of the bottle of champagne. That sounds like fun. So, so it was fun. It was, I mean, it, those those were those are good memories, and we got to be on top of the vertical assembly building. Yeah. For, for the launch. Which I saw for the first time, actually, this past yeah, June. Yeah, or the Mission Control Building. Right massive, the massive. Yeah. So it was building. fun. It was fun. And then, do you have any other, uh, like, a good story from, like, a launch day or, like, you know, seeing, like, what what was, I guess. I, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one that you don't realize. When you watch it on TV, it's all sound choreographed. Yeah. Okay? And so when you're there in person. You're about two and a half miles from the launch stand, yeah, which some would so, say might yeah. not be far enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, on the first launch, we got to go out for the night viewing, and the night viewing oh, they wow. have the, yeah. the big lights shining on the shuttle, and you can hear the generators humming, and they go in and out of sync. Yeah. So there's this boom, boom yeah. as the generators are doing their thing. And anyway, we were out there, and uh, the little Elliot from um, what's what's the movie? Um, the the one ET 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Elliot Elliot from ET was there as like a VIP to <laughs> go to course. night viewing and so yeah. we, so we got to meet Elliot so that was you know for yeah. us common people it was like oh a Hollywood star <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um, so uh, back to, back to the thing you're, you're you're on the mission control building on the roof and they fire the liquid rockets yeah. And you get the you get some smoke from that, and they start the water deluge system, and it takes some time for the sound to arrive. Yeah. And then once they know all three liquids are going, yeah. they light the two solids, yeah. and they, and, they, and you it's can't, going. and it's going. You can't stop after that. And so what happens is, as you're viewing, the the shuttle clears the tower, and you hear no sound because you're three miles away yeah. or two and a half miles away. And then this loud sound comes, and that's a million and a half pounds of thrust from the three liquid rockets. Yep. And then it's climbing, and then all of a sudden, the sound <laughs> just jumps tremendous amounts because it's the solids, it, it's, it's, the solids yeah. come in, and that's like six million pounds more thrust. And so in your brain, 
it exploded yes. because the sound went from loud to stinking loud. Yeah. And yet the thing's still cruising on up just yeah. fine. And so it, there's a disconnect. Totally. That, yeah. That, that's, it's, it's and and what do they say? It's, it's the space shuttle is going 100 miles an hour by the time it clears the launch tower. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, it accelerates like and, crazy. And for people that don't know, so uh, a liquid rocket engine is something like a car that you can throttle up or down and you can, you can vector, you can do whatever you need to. A solid is more like a firework. Like once you light it, it is going. There's nothing that's going to stop it from yeah. going once right, you start. Right, and it goes for two minutes. The solids go for two minutes, and then the liquids continue Do you on. remember what the propellant was for the solids? Uh, I, I can't remember if it's P-band or hydroxyl terminated polybutadiene and aluminum. Yeah, I think, it was the, I think it was the latter. Yeah, yeah. I think it's P-band is that P-band. one. P-band. Yeah. Which is uh, you know, it's great, great for the environment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, th I think this, this brings up a story, I think, of the space shuttle that, you know, I took your space propulsion class my junior fall. Right. Uh, some of my favorite classes took advanced yeah. space prop all the other fun things uh and i have one memory from riddle that kind of sticks out more than anything else is when you talked about challenger yeah it's and, per it was personal to me it, and it is personal to you. and do, do, yeah. you, do you want to talk about that yeah yeah so so uh ch chal the challenger disaster i was working as a lieutenant at wright pad at the, when it when it when it went um, in ohio right yeah in ohio yeah. and uh so I had I already taken a job and I was doing that. My dad had flown on Challenger on an earlier mission. Um, the one with Sally Ride, right? Yeah, the one with Sally Ride. Yep. And um, it was a super cold day. Um, they, there was pressure, obviously, to launch because you had a teacher to get a teacher in space. Yep. All the camera crews were yeah, there. Yeah, all the camera crews were there. Yeah. Um, later in my career, I got to know Al McDonald. I got his business card up on the up on the board over there. Yeah, there it is. Uh, yeah, right there. Uh, Al McDonald. He's, 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 he's a Thiokol guy. He yeah. was the he was the Thiokol rep at the Cape. Yeah. That day, so they have they have a rep from each of the big companies that's there, yeah. and they they're not the one that has the authority to say go or no go yeah. from the company perspective. But his recommendation was it's too cold. We haven't qualified these things at this kind of temp. Yeah. Don't launch because we just don't have data. And the NASA safety culture is, you know, it should be if anybody has a major concern about something that can you lose the bit, you, you you stop and you resolve that. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, so they they were in one of those those doldrums of not following the proper safety procedures, and so they reached out to Thiokol at Utah. Utah said, "Wait till it's the the ru the rubber and the rockets about 40 degrees Fahrenheit at least, and then and then and then or I think it was 53 degrees was what their number was, or 53 degrees Fahrenheit because that's the yeah, lowest day. It's the Cape of Florida, you know. Like yeah, it's Florida. They don't be... expect that, and that's one of those weird things that the military when they make segmented solids which you take poor different segments bolt them together yep. and that's how you get a big thrust solid the military puts heaters at each of the joints to keep the o-rings warm yep. and shuttles the shuttle since it was in florida they didn't bother and then after the explosion that guess what they put heaters on all the joints which because that's yep. what you're supposed to do so anyway um judy resnick i ate breakfast with her when i was a cadet at the academy my dad flew her up he needed flight time in the t-38 yep. so he, she sandbagged a ride in the back and uh, they came up and i met him at the denny's at uh, highway 24 and academy boulevard and I, I i knew judy i used to shoot baskets with ron mcnair yep. um uh, dick dick scoby's son was a few years behind me at the academy so i knew these people yeah they were your friends they were my friends and so i i, I look back at that culture of Crit, it, it, the the O-rings were a crit one failure mode, just like the the seals on the turbo pumps and the and the rocket engine are crit yep. one. If they don't work, people will die or you'll lose the vehicle. Yep. And so whenever you have concerns on those kind of things, you should not be launching. You should be yeah. resolving it. And so that's one of those things where I, I just 
personally, it, it, it still bugs me. And so I tell you guys that because you need to know when to fall on your sword or say this is not right. Yeah, sometimes you, even you, if you, every all the you, mentors you, on your you, side, you, you should you should you should be willing to risk your career if it's doing if there if it's this wrong. Yeah, and uh, you know the Al McDonald's comment was I think the sea the waves at sea were like twenty foot waves and they have to go recover those solids because they parachute down yep. they refurbish the insides and make them go again and that you, you were going to lose national assets in that kind of sea the odds of them recovering those those rockets were really Negligible, low so yeah. just just that alone it's going to cost the taxpayers millions and slip the program and so it's like and that's that's if everything goes well you may not recover that yeah let alone losing one of the six ever vehicles made yeah um but i think i think the bigger thing here that you know I I that that comes to my mind is that people talk about it like a like a dinner conversation thing. You know, I've been in, I've been in New York dinners and and talking with clients. They'll talk about oh challenger and it's like you know oh it's such a shame that you know what what happened happened and, and I look at them I was like you know it's ignorance like yeah. it was just blatant ignorance yeah. like there was nothing more and they're like oh but the Discovery Channel says always that you know yeah. it was it was too cold and they didn't know it's like no they yeah. knew yeah. They, they knew there was a high likelihood that something right. very wrong was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and that's but Apollo One was kind of the same thing, right? Yep. And that was the that was the, the pure oxygen know. environment is 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 very dangerous. Yep. You know, I think I think I remember watching it was that really good documentary that when we left Earth one, yep. that probably like the best of the NASA ones. And they were they were uh, I think it was one of the reporters or one of the one of the lab techs it was one of Gene Kranz's like direct understudies, and he was basically saying it's like, you know, at at sixteen psi of oxygen, like aluminum burns, like it just it just ignites. Yes. There is no room for error. It just goes from being aluminum to being yeah. a molten, fiery, yeah. hot mess. Aluminum is a rocket propellant. Yeah. Um, so, kind of, kind of switching stuff. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I learned that from you. That's right. You know, it's like what is it? Uh, acrylic. I saw. I think that was the cool yeah. one. Making the acrylic. Acrylic uh, hybrid rockets with yeah. the, with gaseous oxygen. Yeah. And you and I could talk about rockets for hours. <laughs> yep. Right. Um, and that's and that's what you were. So so for most of the, most of your career, you were at Edwards Air Force Base. You'd say I did. I did six years at Edwards, and I did uh, seven years at Wright Pat. All propulsion related stuff. Yeah. And you were on the aero side mostly. Yep. yep. Aero aero side. Yep. And then, do you have a project that was that you can talk about that was a favorite there? I think I think integrated powerhead demo. We were doing the world's first cryogenic full flow cycle. That's what SpaceX is doing with their Raptor engine. Yeah. And so it's a it was a very advanced cycle. We were working with Rocketdyne and Aerojet. Yeah. And we were the sponsoring agent and. Work, we'd go to all the meetings and make sure they're designing the, the, the injectors and turbo pumps and all that right and then we ended up our our facility we, did, we didn't get enough money from the air force to finish our test facility so we ended up taking it to nasa stennis and yeah. testing testing down at nasa stennis and i'd moved on by then but i you know stayed in contact because i yeah. wanted that was a Absolutely, cool that was yeah. a cool project when, when you're doing a world's first it's fun yeah and so i think let's talk about musk and spacex for a second so you know i think you and I talked about it because when I was in school from 2013 here to 2016, um, SpaceX was 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 big, but they're not as big as they are now in 2019. Like the right. past three years have been. I, I think I think for me the Falcon Heavy launch with the dull landing of the Falcon nines. Right. That, 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 that was that, that, the, that was, was a, the moment. That's a milestone where you're right. reco recovering launch vehicles. You know that I, I told people it's like it's not the moon landing of our of our generation, but that's like the space shuttle first flight with John Young. Yeah. Like that's the same thing for for my generation. Right. 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 Um, so like. 
what is your current opinion now of like Musk and what he's doing? And do, do you support it or what do you? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I support it. I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by how, how hard he's pushing, how hard they're Absolutely, working. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and so I think, I think it's fantastic. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always fingers crossed because it's a, it's a yeah. dangerous business, and you, you hope, you hope you don't end up, end up losing a vehicle. I mean, it they, is. Yeah. They, they lost three Falcon ones at the very beginning, but he was smart because yeah. he was using single engine system and learning from that versus trying to do nine engine systems. You don't totally, want to try yeah. and learn. With he doesn't go for broke, and now yeah. you know like. Yeah. The, the Starship, you know, he yeah. said that they can put up the 37 Raptor engines on it. Yeah. But the first test, they used one. Yeah. And, and they understand that, you know, there's no point in trying nine if you can't get one. If you can get right. one, then let's go to three. And then yep. once you three, you get to five. Because with aerospace, and I told us to people, it's like, if you and I were to spend a year of our time in, or any engineer, and model out and ANSYS and rocket propulsion, whatever that, that RPA. I mean, RPA, right? Yep. That amazing rocket propulsion, you know, MS DOS program <laughs> I got to use. Uh, and, and you and I could spend and take 100 people with us, and we'd probably still get to maybe 65, 70% of what it would actually perform like. Right. And it's one of those things that until you actually go and build it and throw some fiery things inside of it, yeah. like you're not going to see what happens. Right. You know, it's probably going to explode a few times. Yeah. Murphy gets a vote, so you have to do <laughs> Murphy, it right. That's, yeah, that's, I think that's my favorite saying. You always have to, like, you know, Murphy always gets a vote, and you don't. <laughs> yeah, Murphy's law. <laughs> and I think I think that reminds me of when you said you were working at Edwards sometimes, like your desk would jump a foot in the air. Yeah, yeah. I worked I worked in the chem lab building, and they yeah. were developing new rocket propellants. and Hypergolics. So, uh, yeah, hypergolics and, and, and other sporty ingredients. And uh and when things would let go, your desk would jump, and then you'd hop up out of your desk and go down the hall and make sure everybody's still okay. Yeah. And so that's and, that. and as a point that's of reference, edge, you know, hyper, edge, a hypergolic rocket is when you have two chemical propellants that react on contact. So essentially, the crazy thing about it is that I and I learned I realized this when I was a kid with the whole lunar lander is that you can build the system, but you can't test it because once you test it, it's scrapped. Yeah. So the lunar landers, uh, when they were on the, the the lunar surface, the first time they fired those engines is when they were trying to get back to lunar module. Like those are the first time those were ever fired. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so it's like you know it's pretty high because if, if those didn't fire, they there would be bodies they'd on the moon right now. They'd be stranded. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure there'd be some high risk, you know, uh, Armageddon style, you know, <laughs> United States Hubble rescue. Right. Um, but I, th I think kind of transitioning a bit. Um, Elon Musk's other side of things is Tesla. Right. Right. Um, and one of you and I, close friends, Zach Bissonette, you yeah. know, petrol head as big as you and I yeah, yeah. just he, got a Tesla. Yeah. Right. Loves it. Yeah. He, and he, he loves acceleration. He, he does. And, yeah. and, but the thing is you own six cars, seven cars. Yeah. Seven cars. Uh, you know, your Porsche is a favorite of mine. Yeah. It's uh, what year is this? 1978, 911 turbo. And the air cooled one, right? Air cooled. Yeah. Air cooled. And that thing is beautiful. First, first year of the intercooler. And you have some older BMWs, right? Yeah. The M635 CSI. Yeah. And uh, so, have you thought about playing our electric car at all? I, I, I guess I'm too much of a petrol head. Yeah, I get that. Y yeah, you know, and so that's. And I think the beauty of you is like you—you you love doing all the maintenance in your own cars. Yes. Like your 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 garage, for reference, people haven't seen it, is this amazing like two thousand square foot playground yep. of garage bays and, and lifts and all the lifts, and so you can you can yep. fix anything. You know, yeah, you, so, you could Frankenstein a few cars yeah. in there if you wanted to. Yep. Uh, Zach, the guy we mentioned, a good friend of mine, and, and one of another one of Dr. Fabian's students, uh, who's become one of my close friends. Um, you know, we would we went over to your house a few times, and it was like the greatest, yeah, the greatest fun. experience ever. Have fun, fun yeah. in the garage. Um, and I think you like where where did your love of cars start? Like where did that? Um, I had a when I was when I was a lieutenant. Um, there was a the guy my office mate was in the Porsche 928s. And so I started helping him maintain it, you know, doing brake jobs and all the rest of that stuff. And what so year was this, just to date us? That, that, that was in 1984, 85 time frame. And so, 
So I was, I learned, I started to learn how to do things. And boy, when you look at the shop rates versus, you know, even if I have to do it twice, yeah, <laughs> I'm still going to win. It's, it's time and I'm going to learn. And so I did, I didn't mind doing, doing, you know, basic maintenance. So yeah. I learned, learned and, to do valve jobs and, and you never maybe, trust an engineer that doesn't do their own work. Yeah. You know, like, and what I mean by work is not like the math on the back of the calculator. I mean, the go into the machine shop and build what you're designing and actually see if it works. Cause right. if you don't do that, then yeah. I think you and I are the people that you think you're, you're not an engineer. And you know, you, and you know, you got to be comfortable with the tools and know how to, can it be assembled? Can it be maintained? Yeah. And All that's kind of issues. And that's why it's like with, you know, this school, Ember Riddle being as prestigious as it is with aerospace, some of the best kids, you know, 10 years out of the program are the ones that spend all the time in the machine shop, right. not studying. Right. You know, the ones that get it, like the Eric Browns and the Zach Bessonets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they can do anything. Yeah. But they were also, you know, like they welded for fun. You know, right. that, that was their, uh, that was their basis. So I, I, I know that, you know, you and I are, are short on time and I don't want to compress it too much. So I'm going to kind of roll into some, uh, you know, rapid fire questions that I, that you can take answer, you know, and I stole this from, uh, I stole this from Tim Ferriss. Cause he had basically asked like, you know, do you want, uh, you can answer it in one word. You can answer it in 10,000 words if you want to. Right. Okay. Uh, and so the first one is, you know, if you had a billion dollars that you could use to help solve one problem, what, what would you throw the money at? One problem. Yeah. Boy, that's a that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, I, I, a billion dollars doesn't go super far, but I mean, it, we're we're in a situation right now where we buy tickets from Russia to get people to space, and this yep. is America. We put people on the moon. It's fiftieth anniversary. Yeah. I would probably put it on man-rated launch because yeah. we we've give we've given up. You know, it, they're working on it, but it's boy, this, but this is a big gap and a big yeah. gap that, that you got you got kids coming up where they, they want this as their future. And we got to be able to be able to put people in space. Yeah. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, did you ever know Arthur Barrio? Yeah, I knew Arthur. Yep. Yeah. He's at SpaceX now. Okay. Um, they, he was doing the bioastronautics PhD at Boulder and okay. they pulled him out to go work at SpaceX to go work on the human interface of the Dragon Crew capsule. So okay. now he's actually training the astronauts at SpaceX. Mm, good, good for him. Yeah, um, I knew he, he, was, he was doing stuff at uh, JP, JPL, JPL yeah. doing, doing, Little doing really electric, electric thruster stuff. Yeah. So he, he's done some neat stuff. Yeah, I know. He, he's he's a, another close friend of mine as well. And why I bring it up, because it's like a billion dollars for SpaceX is actually a decent amount of money for them. Because right. if people think that they're this massive corporation that has a ton of money, but they don't. You know, I think they, they probably run off of a couple billion dollars a year. Right. And most of that money comes from government contracts or outside investors, and so a right. billion dollars, you know, that could they, they could do, make a big change. Probably add what three take three or four months off the process. Yeah, right. Yep. Um, do you have? Is there one view that you hold that's incredibly controversial to most people? Gee whiz, I don't know. <laughs> um, boy, I I could get myself in trouble real fast. I yeah. Mean, I, I, I held high, high security clearances. Yeah, and I know I know the importance of protecting things that the nation has. Yeah, and it, looking at what I mean, there's there was a, there was a Navy guy that took a picture in the back of the sub, where he worked, and it was confidential. And most people don't realize that the levels of classification are confidential, secret, top secret top secret special controlled access or special access program yep. and so there are multiple levels and that's what you were right you were yeah the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was at the, i was at the top and we worked on some fun things but anyway this poor this poor kid and i mean he just wanted to show his family where he worked and so he took some snapshots and it was confidential i think he spent a year in jail yeah and there's some people some high power people in washington dc that have violated security rules to the nth degree and nothing happens and so it, it's kind of funny that if, boy, if you serve in the military, you know the value. I know, I know a guy who, at a secret meeting, 
meant, said one sentence that involved top secret information. And he just about lost his clearance. One sentence. Yep. And, and and boy, if you lose your clearance, you lose your job forever. Yep. Because that's that's the way it is. That is who and you so, are. And so, yeah. but but the, the DC crowd seems to run in different circles, and and that, and to, to be controversial. People at the State Department, most of their intel is human intel, and if that stuff leaks, people overseas die. No, yeah, and and that's that's where it's like doggone it, protect what you're supposed to protect, and so that's yep. that's probably politically incorrect to say, but that's the rules of the game, and you should play by the rules. Yep. So that's my that's it's not my it's not get piece. smart anymore. It's yeah, it, yeah it's, it's, it's actually out there. You know, it, it's it's a, it's a mean world out there. Do you have any morning routines that you've kept your entire life, or like recently? I'm a, I'm an early riser. I'm I'm up I'm up by five in the morning. I walk the dog. Yeah. Uh, I gotta have a cup of coffee, and then I'm usually into work by six forty-five, maybe seven at the latest. Yep. And so. Because and you've always almost always had a an eight a.m. class though, right? Uh, eight a.m. seven forty-five every uh, almost every semester. Yeah. But you prefer that. Yeah, you're I usually bet. home earlier, so. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> you can ask my wife about that. Yeah. I, if I leave by five thirty, it's a good day. Yeah. So. Uh, it's long days. Are you and then uh, do you drive the Porsche to school at all anymore? No, I, I with three boys. I've been busy with that. Uh, my middle one bought a Subaru Outback <laughs> 2.5 XT, and we got to do some cam adjustment on that. So yeah. so I'm too busy maintaining. I've changed a tranny in another car, so I'm always doing uh, uh, the, the hobby cars. End up waiting. They become garage yeah. queens. And, and your oldest came here, right? You came yeah, with... he came here. He's up at NAU doing biology now. Got it. So he switched out. Yeah. So do, still mountain biking mostly. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that's his thing. And then um, I think one of the things that you and I bonded over as a kid was like our shared love of Star Trek and Star Wars, mainly Star Wars. Yes. Um, and I remember there's, uh, do you still have it in here somewhere? The, that, that, that Craigslist ad? For yeah, it's on, the, it's on the door. It's on the okay. outside of the door. I, yeah, I'll, I'll take a picture of it and, and attach to this one, but this, this yeah. amazing, <laughs> yeah. and that's one thing you talked about. So, so you were. You when know, I, when I was a kid, yeah. the original Star Wars came out. And I remember I lived in Colorado Springs at the time, so we went down to the mall and the movie theater there, and we watched it. And then the National Scout Jamboree was in Moraine State Park, Pennsylvania. So we were riding riding these buses, yeah. the, the local Colorado Springs contingent going, and we stayed in Terre Haute, Indiana. Boy, there's a garden spot. <laughs> and so we're staying in Terre Haute, Indiana at, at an armory for the night because that was the cheapest place you could stay is you'd stay at an armory. And uh, the mall next door had Star Wars, so we went to see Star Wars there. you know. And then later on the family vacation up to Seattle, I went and saw Star Wars in Seattle. So I saw Star Wars at three different cities, man. It was it was the movie. Yeah. And so I'm sure I'm sure that, you know, it, it sparked a passion for space stuff to a whole generation of totally. kids. And you too as well, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you, you dream about doing yeah. doing the exotic. And was your favorite the original still or do you Yeah, yeah, I, I still that, that's yeah. that's that's a that, new that, hope. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, some people, some people switch over to the Empire Strikes Back, and yeah. you know, people but fight I, I, all day. The original, original was just it was it was mind blowing at the time. It totally. was so different than everything else. Have you seen the new ones at all? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've so, seen what, what do you think? I think they're good. I mean, that there's a lot of action in them and all that. Yeah. But but I it's mean, more CGI than story. Yes, and that's you know? what it seems like to me. I, the, I I like the classic. Did you ever hear the original story of Star Wars though? Like the the first cut, dry cut of A New Hope, and I'll, and I'll find this to you and I'll send it to you. But like George Lucas when he did it first time through, it was this like drama laden boring like soap opera type thing and it was no action there was no john williams there's no special effects it was like the first hour was luke complaining why he wasn't off with his friends in 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 you know 
joining the rebellion yet. It was yeah. basically like him complaining. And so <laughs> there's this amazing like backup document. I think Vox did it okay. where he talked about the fact that uh, there was this one guy that came in and is like, no, like this isn't a this isn't a drama film. This is an action movie. <laughs> right. And they re-edited it and re-edited it back in and, and changed the story instead of being about like you know a drama redemption story with a lost father into like this is the, probably the, the beginning of the greatest action franchise movie <laughs> right. in history but it's like one dude did that and it's That's amazing what would happen because star wars could have been like that movie that your kids watch when they're at some like motel six in Terre Haute, indiana <laughs> right. that's, that's being shown on tv yeah. that they hadn't seen before but now right. it's like you know everyone knows that's pretty that's pretty neat star wars pushed me to become an aerospace engineer you know yeah uh i think most people would say that it had some sort of impact the people that are aerospace engineers that haven't seen star wars i don't know what yeah what what, what are you doing man what are you doing yeah (laughs) um and then i think you know just to kind of finish this up is there anything because you you always gave me really good advice and you know you know if i had a bad day i'd come and talk to you and you'd always you know tell it to me straight and you were very candid and i was too so like you know i I could take anything you could you'd be like rob you're full of shit i'm like okay cool i'll work on that (laughs) yeah Uh, and you said that a few times but is there any is there any like imparting advice you want to give uh and i would say to two people someone entering college and someone that's about to like start their career and this doesn't have to be from engineering, just like in general, like you know. Yeah. Uh, to, if when you're entering college, you 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 you've got to pick a program that you have passion about, because that's it's one of the stepping stones toward your career, and so you want to do something that, that where you have passion, so that when you go to work, you enjoy the work, you do a good job at the work, and so you're building a toolbox in undergrad, and it doesn't matter whether it's finance, engineering, political science, you know, police science or whatever. Yeah. You, you 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 work at what you're doing so that you and you absorb as much as you can. And I, I tell the freshmen, go around and talk to the faculty members, what's the coolest thing they ever did? Where did they go to grad school? Yep. Well, um what do they wish they and knew as the a freshman? Yeah, you know? yeah. What what do, what do they wish they knew as a freshman that no one ever told them? What's the dirty little secret of this career field that no yep. one talks about? Like in engineering, it's paperwork. Yep. It's all the paperwork. Paperwork. Nobody talks about the paperwork, you know, in, yeah. in, in undergrad schooling. But depending on the job, there could be it, you could be only paperwork. And that's yep. all, that to me, that's the little dirty little secret of engineering. There's other engineering jobs that are amazing. But, yep. boy, if you don't like paperwork, be careful. And then there's you, my side of the little secret, which is like you don't have to be an engineer. Right. Verbatim. But you're still an engineer. Right. You, you you, know? It's a way it's a way of thinking and solving problems and finding solutions yep. and looking at alternatives. It's not what you're working yeah. on. It's how you're and, doing. And, and as for starting starting a career as a military guy. They moved you from base to base. Some bases were your choice. Some were not your choice. Yeah. And so there was always the saying, bloom where planted. Yeah. Okay. And so you, you did the best you could and shined where you could. And people would recognize that. Yep. And, and then opportunities would come. You end up where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Opportunities come from that. So that's that, that to me is positive mental attitude and, yep. and working hard wherever you are. Because yep. that, that helps in the long run. And so off of that, is there any advice you'd give your 25-year-old self? I don't. Th- I don't think I'd change a thing. You know, when I went, when I graduated from the Air Force Academy, I thought I'd get out of the Air Force after five years serving yep. my service commitment, and I did twenty-five years because it was it was an adventure. Each job doing yep. doing cool stuff and neat opportunities, and doing. I mean, doing things I never learned about in undergrad, but I learned how to learn in undergrad school, and so so it was it was a it was a good adventure. And so I don't think I, I don't think I'd change a thing. Yeah, and you're you're a person that I know like has zero regrets about anything, which I. I always yeah. appreciate about you because yeah. it, it's happiness, right? People that, you know, regret a lot of things, usually it's because they, you know, can't accept, you know, right. what they've done. And I right. think that's like once you understand that 
this is my journey in life and it's not, I don't have to hold it up to anyone else's or, you know, follow a certain guideline. And I think engineering people get like that. And you see kids get very depressed here because they feel like they have to be getting the best grades. They have to be taking this course schedule. They have to right. be working for the Boeing yeah, yeah. They, or, you know, right. They don't, they don't realize there's a filtering process that occurred. Uh, only good kids are going to engineering college. Yeah. And now you're competing against a bunch of good kids yeah. and it's challenging. Well, it? it's hard because like what the average GPA of uh, for high school GPA of an incoming Embryo freshman engineering is like probably a four you'd say somewhere in yeah, there yeah on a weighted average on a, yeah. on a weighted average yeah. right and then you all of a sudden you take those kids and you realize that what 30 percent will graduate in yes. four years yeah right so yeah. you have to realize that 70 of these kids that are coming in that are smart are going to drop out yeah and that's or shift majors or shift majors yep you know business biology nothing wrong with that like right. if, and then i think half of it is because people realize that like Hey, this is really this cool, isn't what I thought it was. Yeah, my, I, most high schools don't have an engineering no, faculty member or mentor, no. so they, the kids don't even know. They just been told yeah. you're good at math, you should be an engineer. Yeah, and so they, they follow that path. Well, somebody told me to do mechanical, and I was like, that sounds kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I've, I then learned it's, it's not about what your degree is in; it's about the teachers you have. Yeah. And that's why, like, yeah, uh, we have another person around that's pointing directly at Dr. Fabian. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Like you, you. And Dr. Haven and Dr. Ashworth, to me, were like the three people that really helped me understand that, you know, engineering is about storytelling yeah. and engineering is about solving problems. Yeah. Right. And if you, and if, and if you, you, you have to enough hit, have enough historical context to yes. know where did we come from and where are we going? Yes. You have to solve enough problems so that you, you've wrestled with it and you know how to do it. Yeah. And, 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 and you have to know enough theory to be able to move forward because most of your problems are going to be more advanced than the theories you're learning in undergrad. Yeah. So you just, you're going to build, those are the foundational for your toolbox and your toolbox is going to have to get pretty fancy as you work your way into the future. Yeah. I, I don't think I could have said that any better. <laughs> Anything else you want to say? No, it's been fun. Cool. Thank you. No problem. Bye. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast with myself and Dr. Michael Fabian. Dr. Fabian is not online. He doesn't care to be online. He actually got a smartphone for the first time ever. Uh, and I tried FaceTiming him and he did not like that. So you can find me online as normal at Rob Auchincloss or RobAuchincloss.com. And I hope you all have a fantastic and wonderful rest of your day, week, month, year. Goodbye. Goodbye.